So back in October, I lost my driver's license. Now, it's not my personality to panic when I lose something or when something happens. Unfortunately, I lose things more often than I care to admit. And so I did, like I so often do when I realize that something of mine is missing, I do very little. Because I assume that it's going to eventually turn up somewhere. But as the weeks went on and I still couldn't find my driver's license, I became a little more concerned. And so I started um, checking my coat pockets and checking various bags in my house. I searched my car, I searched my home office, I searched my work office. And before I knew it, it was January 1st, 2020. I know, my type A friends are freaking out right now. It was January 1st and I still had no driver's license. And I figured at this time it was probably the right time to um, do something, but I also knew the process to go get a new driver's license was gonna be a bit of a nightmare. But finally, last Friday, I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna suck it up. I'm gonna pack a bag with some books and my computer and maybe a few snacks, and I'm gonna go wait in line with everybody else until I get my new driver's license. And sure enough, I show up at the DMV, and the line is even longer than I thought it would be. It is all the way outside the door, and I finally make it through that, and I get inside, and then there's another very long line, and inside of that line, there's another long line. And I wait, and I wait, until finally, three hours later, yeah, don't go, don't go do it if you need it. Three hours later, I find myself standing in front of a very kind and patient man who is processing my paperwork. And he strikes up a conversation with me and he says, oh, um, so I see you lost your license. And I said, yeah, I'm a little embarrassed. And I said, yeah, I did. And, and he said, well, how long has it been missing? And I said, since October? And he said, October? And I said, I know, I know, but life is just really busy and I just, I knew how long this would take and I really didn't have the time to stand in line all day and I really thought it was just gonna show up somewhere. And he starts to laugh and he says, yeah, I know how that is, but he said, you know, as soon as you go home today, you're gonna find it. <laughs> and I start to laugh too and I thought, you know what, haha, funny, but not, not really so funny. And so I make way, way down to the cashier and I am ready to check out. And as I am handing this woman my credit card, an image flashes in my mind. And it's an image of this little black purse that I only take out for very special occasions. And that purse is too small to fit my big wallet in. And so when we go out and I use that purse, I often will take out my driver's license and a credit card. Ladies, you are with me on this, right? And I will, I will just slip it in that purse for the evening. And in the same moment, I remember that October was our anniversary. And we had gone out to a very special dinner with some friends and I knew immediately then I, that when I went home that day, I would open up my little black purse and find my driver's license right inside of it. And sure enough, wouldn't you know, that's exactly what happened. And here's what I want you to remember about this story today, is that the thing I had thought I had lost was actually safe at home the entire time. Friends, this is the point of the story that we find ourselves in this morning as we continue the journey of the prodigal son. 
For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, we are halfway through a series we are calling Seasons of the Soul, in which we have been walking through the portion of Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells the story of two lost sons. Now you will learn about the other son, the older brother, next week as we wrap up the series, but this morning we're going to continue the piece of the story that focuses on the younger son. And we're going to use this piece of the story to remind ourselves this morning that God invites us into different seasons, during different circumstances and different times in our lives to bring us to a place of decision where we get to decide if we are going to continue to live our lives in the status quo, we are going to continue the way that we are, or if we're going to allow God to use these seasons to transform us and to call us into a deeper relationship with him and with the people around us. And so if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15 or pull up an app on your phone, we're also gonna have the scripture on the screen, but I would just invite you to do that at this time this morning. So we've learned so far in the parable that the younger son has decided to ask his father for an inheritance well before the time he was supposed to have it. He was asking his dad for something he had not yet earned or did not deserve. And the father in his grace decides to give it to him and the son in receiving that inheritance decides to turn his back on his home, his family, his community, and he goes to a distant land. Only to make a series of poor decisions in which he loses everything. And last week we saw he wakes up in a muddy field with some pigs, and he's hungry, and he's alone, and he realizes at that moment he's so hungry he can't even eat the food that the pigs are being served. He is desperate. And so last week we saw he enters into the season of recognition. Luke Chapter 15, verse 17 tells us that he came to his senses. We've all had these moments where all of a sudden we come to our senses. We have this moment of awareness and awakening. And for the son, I think it's this moment where God begins to whisper in his ear, it's time to come home. Just come home. It's time to replace what you have lost. It's time to repair what you have broken. Just come home home. And if I were the author of the story, I would put myself in that young man's place and I would think he has a choice to make. He has a choice as to whether he is going to accept God's invitation to enter what we are calling this morning the season of repair. We're comparing it to springtime. The season of repair. Is he going to walk into that season or is he going to choose to stay exactly where he is? Is he going to assume that what he has lost is just going to magically turn up somewhere? That somehow in the fate of the universe it will serendipitously just show up? Or is he going to get out of the mud and the muck and do the hard work that it takes to confess the mess he has made and to begin to make the long journey home and set right what he has broken. 
I wonder how many of us have found ourselves on the threshold of the season of spring. We have recognized that we are in a place we should not be. We are far from home. We have woken up to the reality that something we love has been lost and it's in need of repair. Or maybe we become very acutely aware that not only is it in need of repair, but we are in fact the ones that broke it. And we feel God whispering in our ear, it's time to come home. It's time to make things right. And we have a choice to make. Except we look at the long line at the DMV and we think, that's gonna take a lot of work. Man, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna do that. I don't have time for that. Spring is a season that reminds us of this. I don't know if this happens to you, but every year, Eric and I have this moment when the winter snow melts away and we see our backyard clearly for the very first time. And it's this depressing moment because all of a sudden we become very overwhelmed by the fact that there are still leaves that need to be cleaned up from the fall. The fence probably needs to be repainted. There are brown patches of ugly grass that need to be seeded and watered and all of the soil needs to be turned over and fertilized and we will have to make no less than 3,000 trips to Home Depot to get it all right. And our first thought, is, you know what, can't we just skip this? <laughs> can't we just skip spring and move right into summer where everything is warm and beautiful and blooming? Because you know it's gonna snow three more times before we get there anyway. <laughs> can't we just have the flowers without the rain? <laughs> can't we just have the restoration without the repair? Well friends, unfortunately for us, that is not how transformation works. It's not how the kingdom of God works. Like any good parent, God loves us too much to let us skip the hard stuff. And anyone who has ever done a repair of any kind knows that it always costs more than we think. And it always takes twice as long as we thought. But I tell you, there is nothing that Eric and I enjoy more when it finally comes to summer and we get to sit on our patio and look around at the beauty and the warmth of what our hard work has created and enjoy the goodness of that moment. So we see in Jesus' parable that the younger son actually makes his first wise choice of the story. Let's read the scripture on the screen. Luke 15, 18 says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Notice the first thing that the son chooses to do. He chooses to go home. I will set out and go back to my father. What I find so remarkable about the son's decision is that he willingly chooses to go back to a place that he has very recklessly damaged. He chooses to go back to the place of pain, which is so against our nature as a culture because often when we choose to move towards pain, we don't know what we're gonna find when we get there. We just know it's gonna hurt. 
any of us who have ever gone to see a therapist or a marriage counselor or have chosen to have a difficult conversation with a family member or a friend or a coworker knows that repairs can be painful. But sometimes having the courage to simply orient ourselves in the right direction is the first best step. We don't have to have it all figured out. We simply have to get up and start walking in the right direction. Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As followers of God, I believe we need to choose that it's always possible. It's one of the things, as Aaron reminded us, that we can learn from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. this summer, is he, this morning, is that he never stopped believing in the season of repair. He never stopped believing that being at peace especially within the kingdom of God, was possible. And he urged people to that right until he took his last breath. It reminds us of another son we know, doesn't it? The second thing the son chooses to do in this story is he chooses to name his sin. He actually chooses to say the words out loud. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You know, part of the season of repair is naming out loud what is broken. Or maybe naming very specifically what we ourselves have broken. Because there is a diff big difference between saying, it is broken, and I broke it. And I think we have to trust in our relationship with the Lord that he will reveal to us what our part is in that in any given relationship. But notice the son here, he doesn't, just, he doesn't just feel sorry for what he has done. He doesn't isolate himself and wallow in his guilt and his shame. He doesn't turn to the pig and say, wow, I really messed that up. <laughs> Maybe we could go down the road and you know, have a Coke and talk about what a loser I am. You know, he doesn't stay where he's at and do that. He doesn't simply hope that it will get better. He doesn't simply hope that maybe if he moves to the village next door and, and is a really nice guy and maybe sends his dad a casserole or some flowers, that maybe he'll get an invited to a Christmas dinner where they can pretend that everything's fine. He doesn't do that. He actually makes the decision to look the one he has injured in the eye and acknowledge his sin with words. Saying I'm sorry to someone we've injured is never a small thing. I'm sorry I disrespected you in that meeting by making a snarky comment at your expense. I'm sorry that every time I walk into the house, I take the frustration of my day out on you and the kids. I'm sorry I've made poor decisions with our finances and now that we find ourselves in a complete mess, I'm sorry that you've asked me to follow the rules of your house and I've, I've chosen to go my own way. I'm sorry I'm angry. I'm sorry I'm self-centered. I'm sorry I didn't show up. I'm sorry I lied. I'm sorry I broke my promises. The list goes on and on. I don't know what some of you sitting here today, what maybe your I'm sorry needs to be, but if we never actually say the words out loud and name what is broken, it sure is a lot harder to fix, isn't it? 
Notice the son doesn't just acknowledge his sin to his earthly father, but his heavenly one as well. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You know, we see this kind of language so often throughout the scripture, especially in the Old Testament. I think probably most famously, we've seen it in the words of David in Psalm 51 after he has committed adultery and murder. Talk about breaking something. Let's see what David says as he confesses his sin to the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. We need to remember there are always two relationships we break when we sin, the relationship with our father and the relationship with the people that we've injured. But I wonder in our faith journey today if we think about enough what it means to actually sin against God. Because sometimes I think it's easier to recognize the fact that we've sinned against another person. It's tangible. We can see the effects. We've been told since we were very small children to say we're sorry when we've hurt someone. But acknowledging our sins before God, it's this mysterious thing that kind of is hard to get our minds wrapped around, but yet, it's probably one of the most important things, if not the most important thing that we can do when we're in a season of repair. Because when we do that honestly and authentically, we put ourselves in a posture before the Lord and we orient our hearts towards home. We acknowledge God that you are God and I am not. I am a broken human being who left to my own devices will always choose to run far from home, always. Lord, I'm desperately in need of your grace. Lord, ultimately you are the only one who can repair what is broken and ultimately what is really broken is me. Tim Keller tells a story in his book, The Prodigal God, in which a prominent newspaper posed the question, what's wrong with the world? And the Catholic thinker G.K. Chesterton reputedly wrote a brief letter in response. Dear sirs, what is wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I read that when I was in line at the DMV, by the way. Lastly, the son chooses to humble himself and attempts to do whatever he can to make it right. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He takes on a heart of humility and he's prepared to go to his father and do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to pay back what has been lost and to fix what has been broken. Paul gives us a beautiful picture of this in Philippians, using Christ as our example. He says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to you of the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is nothing that Jesus would do or didn't do to set things right. You know, one of the interesting things about this parable and this story that I don't want us to lose sight of as we dig deep into this piece of it is the context in which Jesus told the story. If we look back at the beginning of the passage in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we see it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You know, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he has people flocking to him all over. And people are flocking to him because Jesus could repair things that no one else could repair. And he welcomed people home in a way that no one else had done in the history of humankind. And I imagine that the tax collectors and the sinners, the people at the time who would have been considered furthest from home, they were the one who were huddled closely to his feet and they were listening and hanging on every word he said while the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were on the outer circles and they stood with their arms crossed and the scripture tells us they were muttering, who does this guy think he is? Who does he think he is? Not only does he welcome sinners, but he eats with them. Not only does he throw a few coins in the plastic cup as he walks by the lepers and the beggars, but he flings open the door of his life and his heart and he invites them into his home and he says, sit at my table and feast with me as you become a part of the eternal kingdom of God. And yet the Pharisees were the ones, they were so disgusted because they thought the sinners were not in need of repair, but they thought they were beyond repair. And frankly, they wanted it to stay that way. Friends, I think this is one of the greatest lies that Satan would have us believe today. That a certain situation in our life, maybe a certain season that we're in, a certain person that we love or a decision that we made, or maybe we ourselves in the state of our soul that we're just a beyond repair. That we are just too far from home. And we look at the long journey back and we think, wow, that's a long way to walk. And honestly, I don't even know what's going to be waiting for me when I get there. I don't know how I'm going to be received. I don't know if I can even fix this. What if I'm humiliated? What if I'm rejected? But I think if we take our cues from the story, some small cues from the son, but an even larger cue from the father, we will see that the most important decision that the son makes in the story is he got up and he went to his father. He got up and he went. And what's so interesting is that he doesn't even get to execute the rest of his plan because the father does something so stunning that it becomes the beginning of a new story for the son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
Now, something that Jesus' listeners would know is that no patriarchal father in the ancient Middle East would ever lower himself or embarrass himself to pull up his robes and expose his bare legs and run to anyone, let alone to run to a child who had so disrespectfully and fully disowned him. And yet the father doesn't even wait for the son to come in the house. He doesn't wait for the son to get out the words and to say everything that he had broken or to fix it. Instead, the father sees his son while he is yet still a long way off. You see, the father had never given up hope that his son would hear the whisper in his ear and would eventually get out of that hard place and start the journey home. And the father runs to his son and he has compassion on him and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him and he sobs all over his face. See, he intercepts his child on the way home and he meets him with his grace. Friends, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe some of you this morning have never come home to Jesus. Maybe you have never made that decision to make that first step. Maybe the thing that is most broken in your life is your relationship with God. I don't know what your story is, I don't know where you're at, but what I do know and what I hope you will hear this morning is that God is not waiting for you to get your act together before he welcomes you home. He is not waiting. When God and his son Jesus Christ hung lifeless on a cross and spoke the word, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, it is finished. He welcomed you home in that moment. Don't wait. Run to him because he is running to you. You know, the beautiful thing about spring is that under the surface, it's brimming with new life. The green buds are starting to pop up from the ground. The birds have come home and they are starting to sing. The temperatures are rising, the days are getting longer. And each day, each little day, the sun is shining just a little bit brighter. Because the season of spring, this season of repair, no matter how difficult or how expensive it may be, it's the season of hope. And if we just have the courage to begin to orient ourselves in the right direction, to get up and go to the Father, to humble ourselves, to confess our sins, to say the words that need to be said, we can have hope. Because guess what? The outcome is not dependent on us and our broken sinful selves. Thank goodness it's not. The outcome is only dependent on the character of a good and gracious father who is in the business of making all things new. And I believe when we trust in him, when we put ourselves in his hands during this season of repair, 
what I believe is that maybe that thing that we thought was lost was actually being held safely at home the entire time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's such a privilege to be with you in this space this morning, Lord. Thank you for the reminder of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you don't wait for us to get our acts cleaned up. Lord, you accept us exactly as we are and you meet us exactly where we're at and you see us and you know us and you love us. Lord, and you throw your arms around us. What a good and gracious God we serve. Lord, whoever needs to hear that message this morning, Lord, whoever needs to be reminded through a silly story about a driver's license that you are holding them safely at home, I pray they may hear it this morning, Lord, that they may believe it and accept it. Lord, bring new life from the season of repair because that's who you are and that's what you do. It's in Jesus' name. Lord, Jesus' name, who is the fixer of all things that we pray this morning. Amen.